Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the School of Travel's podcast. You know, it's been over a year now since travel as we knew it before almost completely stopped and staying home became the norm, and in most places, the mandate. I've continued this podcast in the meantime as a continued source of inspiration and hope for a travel future where we can once again visit friends and loved ones in other countries and take different journeys as a source of our own personal growth. This all being said, the fact of the matter is, as of today in May 2021, we are all still severely limited in where we can travel, and the current travel scene looks absolutely nothing like it did pre-pandemic. Although now, it does seem to be a time that certain countries are starting to open up. The question now becomes, is it time to travel again? And if not, when will it be time to travel again? What does travel look like post-pandemic? My guest on the podcast today is Norm Bauer, writer and blogger at TravelYounger.com, which we will put a link to in our show notes on theschooloftravels.com. Norm left the U.S. permanently in February 2019 at the age of 64 and started traveling to a different country every six weeks with his girlfriend, Kathleen. As Norm will tell you, he started international travel late in life, but once he got bitten by the travel bug, he never looked back, and he was really living his travel life to the fullest until the borders started to close around the world in March 2020. Eventually, Norm and Kathleen found themselves as the only two passengers on a Delta Airlines flight from Columbus, Ohio to Cancun, Mexico in March 2020, when they decided to stay in the town of Puerto Morelos until the pandemic subsided. During our interview, Norm was still based in Puerto Morelos more than a year later and is now asking himself the question, is it time to travel again? Let's hear what Norm has to say. Welcome to episode 57 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I'm catching up with someone that reached out to me a year ago to interview me for his upcoming book, Norm Bauer. Norm, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's been a nice, long 14 or 15 months since we've spoken, and the world seemed to have gone to hell in a handbasket in that time, you know? It really did. I remember exactly where I was sitting when you interviewed me. It was February 2020. I was in Kyoto, Japan, in an Airbnb. I was, you know, now this sounds like a dream, but I was spending a month there. And I remember at that time, things were really starting to pick up with this whole COVID-19 pandemic. It was like, it was, of course, not a full-blown pandemic yet. But in Japan, you really could feel that something was, was bigger about this than, you know, what we'd heard about SARS or mares before, which is how I was thinking of it at the time. I thought, okay, this is going to blow over. Norm's book is coming out soon about the six tenets of nomadic travel. Everything's going to be fine. But then, as we both know, as the world knows, that's not what happened. Well, as a matter of fact, we were in a similar part of the world. We were in Thailand. Um, I have been a permanent nomad for now over two years, at that time a little over a year. 
And we had spent the majority of the time in Europe and then had occasion to go to the Far East. So we went to Singapore and then to Thailand. So we were actually uh, probably in Bangkok when we spoke. And SARS, of course, started right in our next door yard out of Wuhan, China. And so we started hearing about it and started seeing about it and catching some glimmers of what's happening in the United States. And we thought, Oh, it's going to pass. It's no big deal. And then it continued to escalate. And then we'd hear all these, of course, media horror stories because the American media just loves to jump on, you know, something that's bad. And uh, then we came to the United States shortly thereafter, the first week of March, just as the run on toilet paper, the run on water, and the world was literally changing and masks were now becoming required and hand sanitizer were becoming required. And, you know, here you and I have been for the last 14, 15 months trying to deal with the aftermath, along with all of your listeners who are wondering, now what? <laughs> when will normal come back and what does normal look like anymore? And no one really knows the answer to that question. Yeah, I, I know that we like we're all, especially us like diehard travelers who have been used to this nomadic lifestyle. We're just really waiting for this everything to open up again and and figure out like when really is the best time to start traveling again. And that's how you reached back out to me. You you asked me that very question, and I want to get to it. But first, I want to have the listeners understand a little bit more about your background. Like you said, you're traveling about two years. Um, you have a website called TravelYounger.com, and I was reading through it, and you'd said that February seventeenth, twenty nineteen, was the day that you started your travel journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that just to give us a picture of where you were before all of this, these travel changes started? Absolutely. And uh, thank you for that. Well, I guess I'm called a late bloomer. And for those of you who are listening, who are over the age of 50 and think it may be too late or it may be too expensive or it may be too complicated, I'm here to hopefully give you some um, some motivation and some insight to the fact that that is just not true. I never really spent any time in Europe until I was uh, 62 years old. And uh, I am a consultant and a speaker in a niche industry. And I was able to um, get invited to three different speaking events in Europe, in Warsaw, in Prague, and in Amsterdam. And so for a period of three weeks or so, I went over and it was just me and my backpack. And this was totally new to me because up until then, the only time I was in Europe was on a one-week tour with my stepdaughter and her Latin students. And that was back in 1996 where everything was pre-planned out. We just followed the teacher and we did where she said we're going. And we went to Florence and and to Rome and to uh, the different places down there in Italy. And then I had not been back until this occasion. So to say that I had culture shock here in 2016 was an understatement. But very quickly, I gained a tremendous amount of respect for the lifestyle of the people in Europe, of how they live and how they truly live for life and not to work. And six weeks vacation was not an exception to the rule. That pretty much was the rule. So when I came back, I said to myself, I need to figure out how to go and travel more. So that's what I did. So I, I logged on to a particular app called Travel Pirate. And every couple of days, they'd send in this really awesome deal. And so because of that awesome deal, I, I did a three or four day trip to Iceland for a very reasonable amount of money. And then about a year or two after that, I had uh, occasion to be invited back to Europe to Madrid 
because I do video marketing for an event company and they were having their first event in Madrid. So without getting into all the details, we went to Madrid um, about th- almost three years ago for a week for the, the actual event, but we ended up staying for six weeks, traveling between Spain and Portugal, between cars and buses and motorcycles. And my girlfriend and I, we came back to the United States because all the while we were traveling, we kind of asked ourselves, is this something we can do? And what I'm referring to is that can we leave the United States? At the time I was 64, 65, she was two years older. And so that's what we did. We started to apply for residency in where you are right now in Portugal. First we started with Portugal, then Spain. And that didn't work out and decided screw the visa. I really wasn't looking for a second or permanent home. I just wanted to be able to travel. So I learned the rules of the game of Schengen visa requirements and how to play what I call the Schengen chess game. And so that's what we did. So on February 17th of 2019, she and I left in over 14 months until we got stopped. We visited 23 countries, about 400 cities, made it to Asia, and then came back to the United States a year ago, March, for a wedding in the state of Ohio. And that's when we were starting to wonder whether we could even go back because borders were starting to close and Italy and Spain were shutting down. But we were invited to stay with a friend in Mexico for two weeks. And that two weeks has turned into about 14 months now because since we've been in Mexico, there's been nowhere to travel. So let's just say that I, like you, and probably a lot of other people who are listening, you probably have very itchy feet and you're asking yourself, one, can I go? And two, do I want to go? Is it safe? And so I think that's one of the things I'd like to share with your audience is my perspective. And I understand this is just one person's viewpoint of I think that, yes, now is the time not necessarily to, to travel, but certainly to plan on travel and to put the dynamics in place. Wow, what a story you have and how brave you are to really just put on your backpack, you know, over the age of 60 and go to Europe for the first time. But it, as you've said, changed your life and made you see things from a completely different perspective and how you've really covered the ground since you started. So first of all, kudos to you for really having that fire lit, you know, at a later age, like a late bloomer, like you said. Um, and I think that's it's really timely too to like, have this moment where we feel like, oh, is it is it safe to start traveling again? Is it time to start preparing and hoping to be able to book flights and things? Um, and you're showing people that, you know, you can be whatever age you want to be, really, and still accomplish this. So I, I'd love to hear now what you do, ha- the philosophy you do have on, you know, the safety of how we should start looking at traveling again. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's so ironic that you use the word philosophy because as I was preparing for this show, I was thinking about what it was I wanted to share. And one of the things I did want to talk about of the quote unquote of the philosophy of travel, you know, for some people, they they have to travel maybe because they have a job that puts them on the road all the time, or maybe they get transferred every couple of years. And for some of these people, travel in some cases is a chore. Same thing with people who are maybe in the military. And then there's people who travel for vacation and whether it be domestically in their own country or overseas or whether they do cruises or whatever the case might be, different strokes for different folks. And then I think that there's people like me now, not before, but now, and people like you and other people who I interviewed for my book, which was really about discovering what a nomadic lifestyle is like. And these are people who, like ourselves, who must travel. 
And when I say must travel, I'm not saying that you are forced to travel, but I'm saying that you are compelled to travel out of curiosity and out of wanderlust and out of adventure spirit. And unfortunately, a lot of people like us have been kind of tied down because of visa restrictions for one, airlines dependability for two, you know, flights have been canceled left and right. And then you have credits waiting for you without getting your cash money back. Airbnbs, of course, have had very severe restrictions put upon them. But I see the beginning of not necessarily the end, but I see the beginning of some leniency when it comes to traveling. So you're an American citizen. I'm an American citizen. Of course, you have people listening to you from all over the world, Becky. But for people who live within the United States, I think you can pretty much travel domestically anywhere, anyhow. And I've been in Mexico for the last year, and Mexico is probably one of the most lenient places to visit. There's no quarantine. There's no COVID test. There's no anything. You just show up, and you can pretty much party, which is a double-edged sword at that. But I am now preparing to go to Europe. We had a flight scheduled for September 4. Unbeknownst to us, they canceled the flight. They didn't say why. And so now I'm kind of playing it one step at a time. But unless anything changes, my devout wish is that we will be going back to Europe by fall. And I think that with summer happening between now and then, every government agency and every government tourism department out there is doing whatever they can to keep people coming in simply because of the fact that they have lost billions and billions of dollars. If you look at how many countries out there have such a huge GNP, depending upon tourism, this has been a huge hit to their to their pocketbooks out there. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have suffered certainly a lot more than me, a lot more than you. And, you know, who just want to travel There's people whose lives have been totally upended. Oh, yes, Norm, I can tell you that I just returned from a drive through Spain on my way back to Portugal. And the only reason I was able to do that is because I had taken a COVID test to get into Spain. And I was returning to my home, which on paper on a visa in my passport was Portugal. And so I was going through Spain, I stopped in Toledo, which I had never been to before. And there were signs all over the town with like a a knight who was being hung. And it was saying SOS, save our souvenir shops. And they were pleading to the government to get more funding to support these people. There are just so many aspects of the tourism industry that people don't even think about that have already closed for good or are just on life support. And I'm telling you, the city was completely empty. It was also a Sunday, so that was even emptier. But it was just heartbreaking to think of what magical places are there, and especially places like Toledo, places like Venice. Uh, We've heard a lot about Bali during this past year that are almost completely dependent on tourism. And if, if we don't start taking action and start to protect these places and save them, so to speak, you know, what is the, what are all of these people's lives and these places going to look like in another year? That is sad, but true. That is sad, but true. You know, it's kind of like history is being lost. I have actually been to that town you mentioned, Toledo, and it's known for their swords and for their iron. Toledo sword was some of the finest iron that was used to create swords back five, six, seven hundred years ago. And it's not very far. It's maybe an hour's bus ride out of the city of Madrid. But yet, unless you are going there as a tourist, there's really no occasion to go. And so you have all these beach communities all over the world. You have all these tourism meccas. Just before we left Asia, we were in Angkor Wat. 
And you might be familiar with Anchor Wide, Becky, because you are, uh, you know, a perpetual traveler. But it's the largest religious um, group of, of, of statues and temples in the entire world. There's like 70 plus temples out there. And normally the place is crowded. All the different temples spread out over however many square miles. We got there. We walked right in. There was never any crowds. And just a, about a month or two after that, we found out that there was virtually no one going to Anchor Wat. And they, of course, are funded by tourism. The governments of all these different countries do not have deep enough pockets to fund all these tourist areas if they aren't self-sustaining. So, you know, it's not just the Disneylands and the Disney Worlds and the Magic Mountains, the, the private companies that are at risk of being being damaged, along with all the airlines and hotel, hotel chains and all that. But think of all the amazing history and all the amazing temples that are now being uh, unfortunately neglected because they don't have the manpower and the funding to take care of them. So there's there's so many there's so many bad angles of COVID ang- uh, angles of COVID, and it's really such a shame that here we are a year almost a year and a half into it. And we still don't see the end of it. What are your perspectives over there in Europe? Do you find more paranoia out there or do you find people are still taking a very, very conservative approach? So it's a balance. And I know we're going to get to this, but the question is, you know, what is your responsibility in protecting the health and safety of others? You know, and and that also your desire and need to travel, like you said, there are people that just seem to have it in their DNA and, and they just they need to travel to kind of keep everything at balance inside themselves. I feel that way myself. But um, I think here in Europe, it's it's a mixture. It's There are a lot of protests going on in cities all across Europe now where people are, are saying like, we cannot survive in our industries. We cannot keep feeding our families if our businesses are not, are not allowed to reopen. And uh, on the other side, you, you do still have a lot of people, of course, trying to follow the edicts and the, the rules put out by their governments to, to help and make sure people stay safe. Portugal here, for example, it has the oldest population in Europe. So we just came out of a hard lockdown and um, we are, people are still trying to protect these old people that they see on the streets uh, and that are, you know, wearing their masks and everybody's wearing masks around here for the most part, but it's still with this idea that if we don't get out and start getting these businesses started again and the tourists don't come back because Lisbon is also very dependent on tourism at this point, we don't know what the next months are going to hold. So, yeah, that is absolutely true. And, you know, in the United States, we have a tendency to be rather rebellious and we don't believe in, in, in rules. And we sometimes don't like it when people insist that we do or don't do certain things. So Americans, unfortunately, have not taken very well to the social distancing concept. So you have a lot of young people who think that they're immune because it's traditionally a quote unquote older piece, older person's ailment. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, I've known lots and lots of people over the last year and a half that have caught it, including my girlfriend who we were traveling with together in Thailand. She got it the second week of January before anyone even knew what it was. And the hospital was in denial. They wouldn't admit of her system, her symptoms and everything. Uh, there's two or three people who I know personally who have passed away and almost always it's been some type of underlying conditions. Uh, my position has been this. My position is, is I, I take practical precautions. I wear the mask when I feel a mask is appropriate. 
mostly for other people. I personally, again, this is only my opinion. I think it's not very effective considering how small virus particles are. But the reality of it is, is that if you're going to fly on an airplane today, you're going to be forced to wear a mask for however many hours you're on. And that might filter down into buses. It might filter down into trains. You know, I don't know what it's like in Europe. Uh, In the United States, it has not filtered down to that yet. But, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about before we sound all, you know, down and out and everything is that I do see some positive signs. And I, and I think that's the gist of what I really wanted to talk about to your folks today is that, you know, people always say, you know, is it time? Is it time? And so I keep a, a blog on my Travel Younger website. And so I just posted a blog saying, you know, is it time to start traveling again? And from the perspective of the public, especially the tourism public, the answer is a resounding yes. People are tired of being isolated. They're tired of being sequestered. They're bored. Uh, They have not been able to go hardly anywhere for over a year. So tourism traffic, I feel, is ready from a perspective of intention to start launching. Business travel, on the other hand, is a whole different story. And when we're talking about international travel, I think the biggest factor to keep in mind is can you go someplace you know because we're looking to go to Europe we can we can access Croatia or Italy or Portugal or, or a lot of different countries and then just bide our time there so I'm constantly on top of what the visa and quarantine restrictions are in any given country and the reality of it is it's like a, a moving chessboard you never quite know but the airlines seem to be gearing up for it especially your low low budget carriers they're all getting very, very highly booked, and they're talking about bringing the the uh, the air airships out, the airplanes out of dry dock, and put them back in action. Everything. So I think that the industry is hopeful, and I'm hoping that what they're seeing is not just optimism, but also based on real facts. Yes, you'd mentioned playing the Schengen chess game before. I think that chess game has a few more layers now to it. It's all individual country rules again. So I'm sure that you're being very careful with your planning to come to Europe. But I I do agree with you. I think that people are starting to, there's like green shoots of of travel coming up and and people are starting to take those first steps and even booking some things now into the summer. Um, I see personally, probably the end of May, beginning of June, um, things starting to like quarantine periods starting to get uh, decrease and hopefully with vaccines and things. I'm really not sure what's going to happen with the vaccine passport issue, especially globally. But um, I do think that people will start to travel again this summer. I I agree with you. And of course, we're recording this a little bit before we're actually airing. We're actually going to be airing it sometime around the end of May or June. Is that the approximate time, Becky? Right. Yes. All right. So, so that means we're going to be knocking on the door of summer travel. And if you look at the airlines and if you look at some of these destination points, this is their window. They have they have 90 days or so to put a lot of butts and seats in a lot of different airplanes and fill hotel rooms and get people back into the tourist destinations and what have you. Because if they miss that opportunity, next thing you know, fall is going to be around the corner, followed by winter, and they will have missed their chance. So the reality of it is, is that I think people, if they know that they can go places, they will choose to go. But you touched on something I do want to mention, and that that is the whole vaccine thing. So in the United States, you know, um, I am eligible for a vaccine. Again, my personal opinion, 
it's still very much unproven. So I'm not really a fan of getting it. And they're talking about this COVID passport. But yet even that in itself is very unpredictable because supposedly the SDC or excuse me, the CDC in the United States is saying that if you are vaccinated, then you can circumvent COVID tests. But yet if you are in the United States and you have a vaccine and you go to another country and then you want to come back to the United States, even with a vaccine, they still insist that you get another COVID test. So to me, I'm not sure any type of COVID visa is ever going to come into play simply because there's too many countries that would have to have some type of an agreement on it. And no one knows whether this is a long-term thing or whether it's a short-term thing. So to me, I think it's going to be a conversation piece, but I'm not sure if we're actually going to see anything in real life. I really hope you're right because I disagree with the idea of a vaccine passport as well. It would make things quicker if you're passing through checkpoints, of course, but it's going to exclude such a large amount of people that would, you know, not help towards our whole hope that the economies are going to open again and people can start to earn their living again and, and get things moving and put food on the table for so many people. So I, I really can't even believe they were considering a vaccine passport. Yeah, Thailand last year, almost exactly a year ago, did something that I thought was very unique. They actually put a, um, uh, they made people pay $3,000 to come into the country and it was held there probably in some type of an escrow account. In order to get into the country, you had to deposit money just in case you had to go into a hotel, just in case you had to have medical services or what have you. And then once you did that, you got you know, the equivalency of a visa that allowed you to enter the country and, and go at will for the 30 days that Thailand allows. I don't know whether they still have that or other countries has, has followed suit. Where I live in Mexico, we have a huge expat population from the United States, but even more so from Canada. And Canada, for all intent and purposes, is in a virtual lockdown. The people here that are, are Canadian in Mexico cannot actually go back to their home country whether they're vaccinated here or not. So it's kind of like no one really knows what's going on. This is also new. This is also innovative. It's also so open to interpretation and open to opinion that no one really knows if, if COVID is going to be a yearly thing. And I, I think that people are saying, screw it. I'm tired of living in fear. And that's my position. I'm not going to live in fear. If God forbid I get sick, I get sick. Fortunately, my, 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 my body is healthy and I don't have any immunity disease or anything. And, you know, you just have to marshal through it. But the reality of it is, is that for people who are elderly, for people who do have some type of pre-existing, for people who are at risk or anything else like that, then yes, be prudent, be cautioned. But I've never been a big believer in living in fear. I come from a space of, of abundance, not a space of scarcity. And so, you know, I believe in living life to the fullest, especially, again, for any of your listeners who are over a certain age and realize that time is passing. It's like, you know, unless they're doing something different than me, they aren't getting any younger either. I do want to ask and play devil's advocate here. Like, what do you say to those people who have had family members die or have had, you know, they've been, they're still having symptoms after getting through the virus themselves. And, and they say, oh, you're, you're selfish for wanting to go outside and, and possibly asymptomatically spread the virus to me. And then I might get sick. I mean, what do you say to those people who I'm sure if they're listening and have that opinion and belief that they, you know, they, they will think this is outrageous. You need to protect other people. Well, 
anyone who's listening right now, if you are on Facebook, you know that there's virtually nothing that you can put on Facebook that people are not going to find argument or dissent with. Because the reality is, is that everything that we're going through right now is highly emotional and it's bringing out the, the best of people as well as bringing out the worst of people. So if someone that I know has lost a family member, of course, I feel their pain. Of course, they get my prayers. And the reality of it is, is that, yeah, I can't even begin to feel what they're feeling by losing someone. But that is their decision. I think we live in a world of free will. And we live in a world where as long as what you're doing is not, quote unquote, jeopardizing other people. And of course, if someone is out there sick, and there have been occasions of people getting on an airplane knowingly with the disease and infecting other people, well, that to me, that's a criminal offense. That That's prosecutable. But you know, for people who are out there that are asymptomatic, and there may be many people who are out there floating around, the reality is, is that life is full of risks. You get in your car, you get in the plane with or without COVID, you cross the street, you take a job, you start a relationship. Everything we do in life is full of risk, and we never know where that risk is going to go. So again, my opinion has been is that everyone has to has to march to their own drummer. And if people feel, I mean, I've got friends who I've invited down here to Mexico, which is safer than where they're coming from in California, which California is in very bad shape, but yet they want to travel, don't want to travel. And I say, you know what, if you don't want to travel, I respect you for that. You know, I respect people for their opinions of what they want to do or not do, but they don't necessarily have the right to impose their thoughts on me. Just like I am not imposing my thoughts on anyone who's listening to this right now. If you feel that now is not the time and you feel uncomfortable traveling, then by all means, just sit tight and wait for it. And hopefully it'll pass you know, sooner rather than later. The challenge is, is that Again, is this going to be a flu epidemic that comes around every winter and has some type of forms? And then people are just going to get used to the fact that, yeah, people die from flus. People die from from measles. They die from a lot of different things. Life is full of risks, not just COVID. It is It is full of risks. I, I do understand that. Um, I think one difference here that we've seen and, and that all of us are going through this like global pandemic together for the first time with everything being shut and all the borders and things being blocked to us is, you know, how do you balance, like, for example, people that work in the cruise industry and the airline industry, and they've all lost their jobs or their job has been on pause for a year. How do you tell them like that you want to travel again when, for example, they can't go back and work until the virus has gotten to a such a small degree that things will open again. So uh, that's that's a tricky thing because I know people are, you know, prevented from working in some industries until we all cooperate, let's say, and and stay home and then the the numbers go down and then they can go back to work. What would you say to someone like that who can't work at the moment because quote unquote people aren't staying home? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And, you know, if you look back a year ago from spring of 2020, when this was all just brand new, there was a huge knee-jerk reaction and businesses started closing very quickly. You figure hairdressers and gyms and, you know, personal services companies, they all had no business whatsoever. They just happened to be in a business that was severely and directly impacting them. On the other hand, you have people who are firemen and policemen and certain government employees who were considered, you know, the essential people that their jobs were not impacted. And, you know, even the entertainment industry, the, the, the largest the largest movie chain in the United States ended up closing. 
how many hundreds, if not thousands of people who worked for that movie chain ended up losing their jobs simply because of the fact that people were not able to and not choosing to go to a movie theater. And so the reality of it is, is that, like I said, I can sing the blues about not being able to travel. Oh, woe is me, you know, but that's really immaterial. It's the people who truly have been damaged, people who have been affected, people who were getting stimulus checks that are now gone, people who are getting unemployment, which is now run out. You know, these are people who are truly suffering. And again, I'm glad that the governments out there, not just the U.S. government, I'm glad that the, the national governments of a lot of these countries realize that they need to dip into their coffers and their reserves in order to try to protect the people and, and check the jobs. But this is not sustainable, Becky. This this whole COVID thing, I'll put it in quotation marks as a thing, this whole COVID thing is not sustainable in its current form. If it continues on for one more winter, we're going to see the loss of major companies. We've already seen consolidation of airlines. We've already seen closures of some of the most major chain stores out there, the retailers out there, because now they realize that everything is going online. Next thing you know, we have a nation of work-at-home people who are even more distant and less personal and less communicative than before. And, you know, we always looked at the millennials because that's the way they operated. They operated everything online. The old school of face-to-face and doing things person-to-person, that has become less and less common over the last year. And it's really a shame because I think it's diminishing and reducing our humanity with each other. It's, it's, it's teach, it's, it's, we're, we're going to forget how we feel about being around people and being civil with people without having being fearful that you're going to infect them or they're going to infect you. And it's the kids who I really feel sorry for because, you know, you take a small child who's two, three, four years old and all they know is a mask and they know that they can't play with their friends without, you know, taking some type of precautions. I think that 20 years from now, you're going to see huge, huge damage to some of the psyches of some of these children who are raised in this environment. Yeah, this is such a tricky thing. And and like you said, there's no there's no real easy way out of this, but we are seeing signs now that we're like we're coming to a turning point with this where something's gotta give and either we've gotta reopen and just start to balance our own personal safety and when we wear masks and when we get a vaccine with putting people back into these jobs. So I guess what what would it look like to you? What do you think people who are considering traveling again should take as their first step? Should, do you think they should try to go to Mexico first, uh, like just stay, go somewhere that's close by as the first step, or what do you see um, as we start to reopen? Well, that's a good question. You know, I'm not a big fan of going someplace only because it's the only available option, but sometimes that is the reality of it. You know, for people who used to go to the Caribbean islands, they're in various stages of being open and not being open and health questionnaires and COVIDs and quarantines and all kinds of things like that. I think probably the biggest thing that people need to keep in mind, uh, there's actually two things that anyone who's contemplating traveling, keeping in mind is one, you should have as much flexibility as possible and understand that anything you put into play right now, there's a good chance, um, not more than a 50-50 chance that it might not come together. And you need to have patience because if you look back two years ago, three years ago, we became such a nation of independent travelers to the point of where you don't need a travel agent anymore. You just go online and you book your flight. And there's been many, many flights that I've booked at the airport that I'm departing from, you know, within a couple of hours or the day before, because everything was so accessible and everything was so available. 
Today, if you do that, you have to be aware that, yeah, you can still do that, but there's a chance that that flight that you just booked and paid for might not be available. So I think patience and, and understanding that, that that shit's going to happen and you just have to have a plan B and a plan C. In our particular case, over the years, we would look at the prices of different flights going to different places and we would try to find those low points, but we would try to be flexible and always have something as an alternative, something as an option. So I think for anyone who's listening to this right now, who's maybe getting a little bit landlocked and, and homebound and feeling a little bit morose about not being able to go, I personally feel that if you feel comfortable taking the initiative, plan something, you know, maybe by the late summer when things will be maybe a little bit more open domestically within the United States. If you're a U.S. listener, absolutely. I think you can do that with probably a, a 90 degree of certainty. When it comes to international travel, I think you could probably plan on Mexico with a 90 degree certainty of travel. But anything that is not one of those couple, then if you're planning on going to Europe, understand that it may or may not happen. So have, have a couple of alternatives and have a couple of options. South America right now is very hit or miss. I'm planning on going to Ecuador in summertime because I've got about six weeks down here after we leave our apartment in Mexico where I'm going to try to go to South America. But I am literally watching day by day and week by week to see which countries I can get into and what the requirements are because there's really only three countries down there that I want to go to and I have to figure out whether I can and whether I want to and whether I want to deal with the inconvenience of having to work with the masks and the COVID tests. Right. So I had a couple questions for you um, based on your answer here. So first of all, were you able to stay in Mexico the entire year without leaving? How did you manage to stay that long? Because I know normally you get six months uh, as an American without any kind of visa. You are correct. It has one of the more lenient visa requirements of six months. And over the last 14 or 15 months since we've been here, I have had occasion to go back to the U.S. I think probably four times. So I've been able to renew my visa every time I return to the country. My girlfriend, on the other hand, she has not left since we got here a year ago, March. So that caused her some trepidation. And I said, look, even aside from COVID, people have been overstaying their visas in Mexico for decades. And the reality of it is, is that when you depart from the airport, you just have to get another exit visa, which costs all of about $25. And that's how people get around it. But I think a lot of countries in the world have recognized that people who don't necessarily want to stay in that country don't have an option because they can't necessarily go back to their homeland and they can't necessarily go on to somewhere else. Like here in Mexico, imagine that you've been here for six months next week and you're a Canadian and you can't go back to Canada. Whether you want to or not, your visa is going to expire. But fortunately, it's it's, it's barely a hand slap at $25 and a, and a little inconvenience of filling out a new form. Okay, that's that's really good. If somebody is listing for Mexico right now, for example, or many countries, I'm sure have kind of similar rules in terms of you just pay a certain amount to extend or to leave. So that's good. Um, another question I had for you is what are your favorite resources at the moment for checking the most up to date COVID entry restrictions for countries? Like you said, you've been checking a lot for South America. Yeah, there's a there's a traveler called the Points Guy who's been around for several decades, and his claim to fame was that he learned very early on to use his travel points to keep his travel go pretty much endlessly. And he's got a really good website, and 
and I, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm guessing it's the pointsguide.com, but I'd have to double check it. But what they do is that they do regular updates of everything that's going on in all the different countries of the world. And so they'll, they'll, they'll group South America together, they'll group Caribbean together, they'll group Asia together and so forth and so on. So you can pick and choose. But the reality of it is, is that for anyone who, um, I mean, the Internet is an amazing thing because everything is, is literally right there at your fingertips. But for anyone who's thinking about going, all you got to do is type in this, the country that you're looking to go to and current visa requirements. And you can also go to the State Department. If you're listening in the United States and if you're a U.S. citizen, you can go to the U.S. State Department. They, of course, take a very unhealthy view of things because if there's a skirmish somewhere, they will put it on the do not visit list because, you know, just because something is happening in one part of the country, they sometimes paint the whole country with a negative. And we found that out last year when we went to Tunisia, which was on the State Department's list of places not to go. But we found the country very inviting, the people very friendly and never felt a lick of danger whatsoever. So there has to be some practicality when it comes to what the State Department says. But, you know, obviously look in advance as much as you can and look to see if there's a trend. You know, the good news is, is that almost every country in the world right now is doing everything they can to make things happen as opposed to not happen. If there's any shutdown, if there's any border closures, it's probably because of some type of a run-up or spike of something that's causing you know, a, a new virus activity or a new, a new, um, a new viral breed that we saw in the UK, which is now spreading all over the world. But you know, if if a new if a new virus comes out, or if a derivative of that, or a new strain comes out, that of course could change everything. But it's, it's just about research and knowing that there's going to be a risk in anything and everything you do. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how travel changes as we go forward. Um, how do you see, do you think we're going to get back to travel as it was in 2019 and before um, relatively soon? Or how do you see travel changing as we go forward? Well, that's a great question. I've written several, several blog posts on what I call the new normal. And, and people keep saying, oh, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. Well, here's the sad fact. You know, here we are in, in, in 2021, and no matter how you try, we'll never go back to 2019 because the world was different then and the world is different now. So it will never go back to the way it was, but it will go back to more of the way it was. I see, unfortunately, masks being a requirement for as long as people feel the threat. And again, I'm, I'm going to use the words feel the threat, not necessarily have a legitimate and valid threat. Paranoia runs rampant. People are always concerned about liability and any type of any type of legal challenge that's going to come back at them. So the airlines, I think, for at least the next year, maybe two years, who knows, maybe however long they feel that there's a threat there, will require masks. We're probably always going to be having a little packet of hand sanitizer handed to us as we go in. You know, the good news is that people have been critical of the sanitation and hygiene in airlines for years between the pressurized air and between you know, fingerprints from, from the previous passages and everything. I don't, think, I don't think planes have ever been cleaner than they have been over the last year or so because they are making it a true mission, a true priority. So we're, we're going to see that happen. When you go into airports right now, because, of course, the massive influx and out, out, outbound of all the different people and going, you're probably going to see masks as being a requirement there as well. But I think that we're probably going to see a lessening at grocery stores, maybe at doctor's offices, and maybe a lot of places that, you know, for, for, the, for, for the past year or so have been um, mostly restricted. 
gyms are starting to open. Some of them in California are now open at 10 and 20% worth of occupancy. Uh, the gym I go to here in Mexico, they do not require a mask anymore. So it's going to be very hit and miss based on people's fear factor and how far they want to push the letter of the law. Yeah, I, I do agree with you that it's that there is a new normal now and we can't go back to 2019. Um, I, I do think personally that people are going to be traveling more slowly. I think that, you know, you can that idea of jumping everywhere for just a weekend is is going to be much harder to do and much more of a hassle. So I, I do see people maybe planning like one or two week trips minimum. Um, hopefully with this increase in remote work and the ability to do so, it will allow Americans to also take longer trips. Do you see that happening? I absolutely see that happening. And I see a huge, huge exodus of the quote unquote retired Americans who are tired of America. And for several reasons, they've seen the dissension within the country. They've seen the breakdown of society the way it used to be when we were all younger. They, they see the, the arguments about politics. They see all kinds of things that are making them say, this is not the way I want to spend the rest of my life. And so I think you're going to see a huge exit and by the way, I'm encouraging people to do that. I've written a lot of articles about why traveling outside the United States when you retire makes a lot of sense, whether you get a visa and whether you get residency somewhere or whether you just continue to be a permanent nomad. But when I look at the cost of living outside of the United States and especially in California where I live, it's a fraction of what I paid. And the quality of life is, is exponentially so much better than what it was. I've learned to live without a car. I've learned to live without a permanent home. And I find myself being just as happy and just as content, if not more so than the way I, I did before. So the fact that people can work remotely, I mean, here you and I are speaking as though you were in the room next door and we're thousands of miles away. You have parents and children and grandchildren who are all able to communicate with FaceTime and with Zoom and with Instant Messenger and all these various things like that. So I think people who before were concerned about leaving their family or leaving their homes or leaving this or leaving that, they might say, you know what, I'm 60, I'm 62, I'm 65, I'm, I'm 55 or whatever the case might be. I don't know how many years I have left. Do I want to continue living the way I have been living? Because unless they choose to change it, it's all going to stay the same. So I think you're going to see a huge exit of you know a lot of retirees and I think a lot of people who are in their 40s and 50s, now that they realize they can work remotely either for a company or for themselves, they're going to recognize that the quality of life outside of their home country is vastly superior. And again, I don't want to sound anti-American. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing the United States because believe me, I'm as patriotic as anyone. But after spending 64 years in the United States and seeing the difference between living there versus living overseas, there's no chance I'm ever going to live in the United States anymore, Becky. Never. I mean, you would have seen such a stark contrast because you spent so much time in the U.S. and then, like you said, went to Europe and saw how different it was. I'm sure it made this big impression on you. And, and you're absolutely right about the cost of living here in Portugal. The cost of food compared to the U.S. and, and definitely the cost of healthcare is like night and day. Yeah. If I mention the people on the air, how much my monthly my monthly budget overhead is they would they would just about have a cow because in some cases it's not much more than what it costs for people's car payments and so your money goes that much further and probably the biggest thing that people have to fear is people say well what about health care and here's another thing too 
is that healthcare outside the United States, all over the world, is really pretty damn good at a fraction of the price. Um, when we were in Lisbon, my girlfriend had occasion to go to the emergency ward there. She had an attack of vertigo, and she had to go into the emergency ward. The ambulance picked her up. She spent several hours in the in the uh, in the ward there. And granted, she was in with a, a dozen beds that were near anything. It wasn't the level of sophistication and catering that she would receive here in the United States. But she was in that hospital for probably three or four hours. She was given a couple of different prescriptions to take with us. And when we were ready to leave, I gave a copy of her passport. And the total amount of that bill, I remember this, was 106 euros. 106 euros for spending several hours in a hospital, including an ambulance visit, where if something like this, God forbid, had happened in the United States, it would be thousands and thousands of dollars and reams of paperwork and all kinds of things that you have to deal with. So, you know, dealing without medical insurance, although you can get travel insurance, which fills that void, is not necessarily as risky as people might think. You know, so there's a whole whole concept of medical tourism where people go all over the world to receive dental work and plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery and laser vision and all kinds of things like that. So, you know, when you start looking at what the rest of the world has to offer, it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of really awesome places out there. And that's what put me on the road. It was, it was about the adventure. It was about the beauty. It was about the food. It was about the history. It was about the different cultures. And those are the things that I touch on in that book, which, you know, started as the six tenets of nomadic life, but now it's called life on the road, why they do it, how they do it. And, you know, I was lucky enough to interview Becky along with about uh, two dozen other people. I'm going to share their stories and hopefully give inspiration for other people who might want to live on the road as well. Yeah, I'm very excited for your book to come out. When do you expect it to be published? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, uh, when you and I spoke a year ago, February, <laughs> I was in the midst of doing interviews and I was planning on reviewing all everything and putting it out last spring. But it's kind of like my travel site, Travel Younger, along with all the other bloggers and podcasters I know, they've seen um, a drop of, of followers simply because of the fact that people can't travel. And so right now, as we speak in the, in the fall and to me in the spring going into summer of, of 2021, I'm going to start working on this book. So by the time this podcast is aired in May, uh, the book will probably be ready. And if anyone has an interest in learning how the nomadic life people do it, learn about the six tenants and learn what life is like on the road, they can just send me an email through the TravelYounger.com website and I'll be happy to put them on a list and probably give them a, a free copy just for review and they can provide some input for it. Fantastic. Yes, we'll definitely put all the links to your blog and the new book when everything is ready and when this podcast is released. Well, I can only hope, Becky, that next time we speak, things will be back to whatever that degree of normal is. Uh, the likelihood is very good. I'm going to be closer to your neighborhood over in Europe. And uh, are you planning on staying in Portugal? Is that your home base for the foreseeable future? Yes. Yeah, so I know people took so many different steps during this pandemic year. Um, and one of my steps was that I realized I needed more more opportunities to of places to live. Like if, if this ever happened again, I was like, I need a plan B. Okay, I want to have access to all of the Schengen, which of course isn't really true right now. I can't go to all the countries in Europe like I normally would be able to as a resident of the EU. But I thought, let me choose one country I would love to spend a lot of time in. And that was Portugal. And I was very fortunate to get over here before 
everything locked down again, which it did in January here. Um, unfortunately, my meeting to become an actual official resident was canceled. It was supposed to be the end of March. So hopefully next week, the offices are going to open again. And I'll see when my new date for my meeting is going to be. But it's, you know, it's always a a challenge with travel and with um, any kind of in-person meeting these days. But yeah, to answer your question in a short way, yes, I do plan on being here, but I'm hoping to travel again uh, for about six months of every year. Um, but being resident of Portugal for the other six. Well, I, I would have to say there's just a little bit of envy in me because out of the 32 countries or so that I've visited so far, Portugal is definitely one of the top three. Lisbon is an amazing city with all the amazing hills and views and everything. And you've got Porto to the north and Algarve to the south and everything with some of the most brilliant blue water and cliffs and coastline and everything. So, you know, it's kind of like when I lament over being quote unquote stuck or hanging out in Mexico, it's like people say, oh, well, was you. And the truth is, is that I've got 70 to 80 degree temperatures year round. I've got the water temperature that doesn't fluctuate by more than one or two degrees. It's tropical all year round. We had a couple of hurricanes over the course of the winter. We had a rainy season and yes, it gets humid. And yes, we get mosquitoes and various things like that. But considering for what I pay for an apartment and I can walk down the street and I can get a really nice dinner along with a a bottle of beer for probably $6 and that's pushing it, uh, usually it's less than that. And when I can go places and do things for so reasonable and I can go to the beach, I can ride my bicycle, which is a 20-minute bicycle ride away. There's worse lives to live. And again, for all the people who are listening, understand that you have total control of your life. You don't always have total control of where you go, but you certainly have total control over how you choose to live your life and where you choose to live your life. So I'm just going to leave you with this thought, folks, is that push the envelope. You know, I would say the magic happens outside your comfort zone. And when I started my travel site, Travel Younger, I specifically said, if you feel you're too old, if you think you can't afford it, and if you think it's too complicated, it's not true. None of those are true. You just have to get out of your comfort zone and and make it happen. Thank you for that, Norm. I really do. I really am so excited to share a pastéis de nata, like an egg custard tart here with you in Portugal. I'm hoping sometime this year, that would be amazing if you can come over in the fall. And to everybody out there, as Norm said, we really hope you can start to make some travel plans that stick and that you get to go to places you've been dreaming about your whole life that you always put off. But hopefully what we've all experienced in this last year is that life is short and you never know what's coming next. And it's it's time to live your dreams. So I, I'm curious, Norm, as one of my last questions to you, like, what place are you just dreaming and dying to go to that you still haven't been to that during this pandemic, you really discovered was like a place you just have to get to if once you can get on that plane? Just one, huh? Well, I want to hear the number one. And then I have to tell you, I have a very strong fondness for Eastern Europe, the, the former Iron Bloc countries. Uh, We were in Croatia at two different times uh, two years ago, and Croatia is amazing with coastline that rivals Portugal and amazing people and amazing food and just a really, really wonderful quality of life. And out of the former... Uh, out of the former communist countries, it's probably the most capitalistic as far as the English and everything. So Croatia has been very much on people's radar because they were the first country in the whole world 
to issue what they call a nomadic passport, which means that if you are there and you can prove that you are a traveling nomad and that you are able to work remotely, they allow you to stay longer than the typical 90 days that you would have to be able to stay in Croatia. So Croatia is on my list. Bulgaria is on my list. And a country that I did get to and spent a fair amount of time last year, Romania is on my list. So I love the Eastern European countries there because they're, they're further south and Greece is, is right there and, and Italy is right there as well. So I come from European background. And so that's where my heart lies. That's why being in this part of the world was not overly exciting to me because I wasn't particularly motivated or enamored to go to South America. But now that I'm here, I almost feel that I need to make the effort to do it as long as I can, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lament if for some reason I'm not able to make it to Chile, Peru, or Ecuador, which are the three companies that countries I want to hit. Awesome. Well, I really hope you can get there this year and that we get to, we get the chance to start our new normal as soon as possible. Thank you so much for reaching out to me, Norm, and reconnecting and having this chat today. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. And Norm, get that book published. Really excited to read it. I will. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again, Norm, for tackling this thorny subject with me on the podcast today. Although I know it's a topic that has been on many people's minds, especially recently with all this talk of vaccine passports, borders opening, new variants spreading, new areas going back into lockdown. It's such an ever-changing travel landscape at the moment that one almost needs a real-time Twitter global travel account to keep up with it all. And even then, I think the rules would still not be clear or up-to-date. What I do know for sure is that at this point, 14 months after the majority of the world started closing its borders, there are still so many deaths every day. But we are also learning more information on a daily basis about how the virus works and are working to overcome it as quickly as possible. Eventually, there will be a turning point where the pressure on a national level to keep the economy alive will overtake concerns regarding the day-to-day -day health of that same country's citizens. It is heartbreaking to watch the way business trumps the welfare of citizens and how that dramatically varies from country to country. I really wish that the entire world could have collectively locked down all together at the very beginning of this pandemic for long enough to completely eradicate the virus. But this is simply not the nature of human greed, which eventually wants to find its way back to the forefront and keep the wheels of global commerce turning. The question is, when should you travel again? Is it when there are no more virus cases? Is it when your own country gets below a certain number of cases? Is it when the airlines start offering the flights or you're allowed to cross the borders? Just because you can, should you? And if you should, then when? Only you can ultimately answer this question, whether that's in 2021, 2022, or travel is now only in the past tense for you. As a lifelong advocate of travel, I can say that I will be traveling again while keeping the safety of others in mind. I hope you can determine when exactly that right time is for you to travel again, listeners. I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. 
Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in